open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 18. And that's where we find ourselves. The topic of the study tonight in these closing verses of chapter 18 is, is Abraham as intercessor. He is going to be interceding for Lot and for the people of Sodom. So we see his intercessory prayer. This is really the first uh, act of intercession in the Bible. Remember, Genesis is the, the book of firsts. Firsts in, in many different categories. This is the first intercessory prayer in the Bible. That's what we're studying tonight in Genesis 18, beginning in verse 16. So let's, with our Bibles open, let's come before the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, how grateful we are to have your word. Uh, the lamp that guides, the light that shows the way, the truth, Lord, in a world of, of deception and lies. And so as we open your word tonight, Lord, I pray that you would reveal its truth to us. Help us, God, to, to really gain instruction and to get information, Lord, to help us through. And I pray for application tonight for each and every one of us. Help us, Lord, as we study your word now. In Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, so here we are in Genesis 18. If you'll recall, last week in the first 15 uh, verses, we looked at Sarah, Sarah and her unbelief. God had spoken to Abraham and had given specific promises. And over a period of years, almost 20 years, God had said, you are going to have a son. And from your son, there's going to be this great population or generations will come descendants from your own body. And obviously, Abram and Sarah had been talking about this over and over, but because it hadn't happened, and because Abram was now 100, you're 99 years old, and Sarah was 90, they just laughed it off. They just didn't believe. God had come back to, uh, to uh, uh, Abram and told him again about it. Uh, again, they just really didn't believe. And so they tried on their own to have a child. You remember how that was a disaster didn't work out right. And now God is coming and he, he comes in the form of a man with two angels. And he meets with Abraham in the front of his tent in the cool of the day under this big oak tree. And they have this conversation. That was what these first 15 verses were all about. One of them is the Lord. This is the Lord. It's a pre-incarnate uh, manifestation, we, you can call them Christophanies in the Bible. It's Jesus being seen in the form of a man before his incarnation that we read about in the New Testament. But it's the Lord. And the Lord speaks to Abraham. He says, he says it's really interesting, the conversation, like God doesn't know that Abraham's behind the tent veil. He says to Abraham, where's your wife? And Abraham says, oh, she's, she's in the tent. And he's sitting at the front of the tent. It's really interesting. So God knows that, Sarah knows that, Abram knows that they're all kind of together. And so the Lord speaks to Abram and says, Sarah is going to have a child. So he's already told Abram this first time he's really telling Sarah that she's going to have a child. Do you remember what she did? What'd she do? She laughed. And she laughed out of out of doubting. She laughed out of unbelief. And that was really what this whole section was, these first 15 verses of chapter 18. She, she laughed and that expressed her doubt or her distrust in the Lord. And verse 14 is the verse in this opening section here of chapter 18. Look at verse 14. 
Is anything too hard for the Lord? That's the question that God asked. And said it loud enough so Sarah could hear. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And remember we talked about that, that really we know there's nothing too hard for the Lord. The Lord goes on and says, at the appointed time I will return to you according to the time of life. And Sarah shall have a son. So after Abraham has fed his guests. He's had this, put this big feast on, these angels and the Lord that appeared there in bodily form. These guys get up and they have something else they're going to do. Many of us know this story. We know where we're going here in Genesis 18 and 19. These angels have come to carry out judgment against these two cities in the plain. So right now, God is up kind of in the hill country, He's with Abraham up there. Remember, Lot had chosen to go to the plain. He chose to go down where the river was, down where there was this fruitful plain so he could take his, his herds and his people and they could flourish and grow. But the problem was it was in this place called Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom is where Lot had pitched his tent. That's where Sodom, he, uh, uh, Lot had chosen to live there. And so... Abram knows that God is going there and he overhears because he's going to follow God. He's going to go with the angels, his guests. It was a common thing to do in this day. To, as guests arrived, you'd feed them because there's no hotels. There's no place to stay out in the desert, out in the wilderness. There's no places to buy food. So it's common for you to show hospitality. And it was also common for these people to go at least the first mile as they walked away from your house. You would just go as a, as a form of hospitality. This was very common, and that's what we find Abraham doing now. And he's going to overhear the story. He's going to overhear the, the Lord say some things uh, about Sodom because there was this, this news that God had received. And, of course, God knows and sees all things, but, but God is now going to see if what he's heard is true. And he's going to order the annihilation, the complete destruction of these people that live in Sodom and Gomorrah. And again, many of us understand the story. That's, that's where Abraham comes into the story as intercessor. Abraham comes in the story as one that's going to pray for these people. He has this desire because he knows his nephews there in this place. So we pick up the story here in verse 16. Then the men rose from there, and they looked toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to send them on the way. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? So he's talking out loud here to the angels. Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Interesting question. For I have known him. In order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteous and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So here God is doing something very interesting. He's, he's revealing that there's righteousness and justice. He's revealing that there's, there's good and bad. He's going to say that 
Abraham, you're going to continue in my way. You're going to be righteous. But, but in order for me to be a just and right God, I can't allow what's going on here in this land I've chosen for you to possess. I can't allow this injustice to continue. And so that's what he's saying in these verses. Then the men, verse 22, turned away from there and they went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood still before the Lord. And Abraham came near to the Lord and said, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? And this is really interesting that his request here, this is this first act of intercessory prayer that we find in the Bible. He's asking a question about people. He's concerned about someone here. And here's the application for you as we go through this study tonight. Are you concerned with someone in your life? In other words, is there someone in your life that has rejected God? You know where they're headed. Without God, they are going to fall off the cliff and they're going to go to you know where. You know where they're headed. Their actions prove it. They've rejected God. They're going there. And you're concerned about them. If you really love the Lord, you'll have a concern for the lost. And this is what we see in this picture, or this scripture tonight. Abraham has a concern for the lost. He cares about the lost. He, he's a friend of God. This section of scripture confirms what we've already read and what the New Testament calls Abraham, the friend of God. Why? Because he's walking with God. He's actually talking with God. He's talking with the Lord. And Abraham's defense isn't for the wicked now. It's for the righteous. There's a difference between the two. We see it clearly in this text. And the big question that this story that we're going to read tonight, it answers this question. How many righteous people would be required in order for God to withhold his judgment? How many? How many people does it take for God not to judge a city, a home? How many? That's really the question that, that we'll look at here because Abraham is going to Jew... No, I'm not going to say that. He's going to negotiate. He's going to negotiate with, with God. He's going to use his, his way to negotiate with God from 50 all the way down to 10. You, you know this story. And I, I truly believe that as I read this story and I've, I've, I studied it today, I thought about how God loves the intercessor. He loves people that have his heart, that want to extend grace and extend forgiveness and pray for the people that are lost. We begin here with my, my first point in verse 22 with Abraham's question. And really, he's, he's questioning what might happen to the people in the cities here. If you look at verse 22, it says, But Abraham stood still with the Lord, and Abraham came near to God. And here's the question. Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? So Abraham is obviously moved when he hears about what God is going to do, the annihilation, the plan to judge. He's, he, 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 he sees these people suffering, and he's moved to do something. And again, when I read this story, and I've heard this story, and I know the history behind it, I've heard a lot about this story in the 45 years I've been a believer. I've heard a lot of opinion on this story. And, and when you read the story, you, you come to the conclusion that these people deserved the judgment that they're going to get. They really deserve it. And 
Tonight, if you come to that conclusion too quickly, then you're going to miss the story. So don't go there with your, with your mind. Try, let's try to start afresh with this story. This is fresh for Abraham, so it should be fresh for us. When we think of Sodom, though, we think about a people that had rejected God. They, they rejected God. They turned to their own sin. They rejected God. And, and so we think of these people as, as getting what they deserve. But Abraham... Abraham would have known people in this city. He might have done business as a merchant with the people in Sodom. He'd known them for many, many years at this time. Maybe there were hundreds and maybe thousands of people and their families and their children and their children's children. See, he knew these people that were down in the city. He knew Sodom. He's met the king. He's dealt with the king. It was back in Genesis chapter 14, if you'll remember, that it was Abraham that went against, remember, King Cheddar Cheese? No, his name is Cheddar Loramir. Remember that guy? And Abraham went against that king. That king had wiped out and took siege of all these cities and towns, including Sodom and Gomorrah. And he stole all their stuff and took them away. And it was Abraham that went against him defeated him, and then set this king and these people free. He sent him back to Sodom and Gomorrah. He let him go back to the plain. He had relationship with the king. He had relationship to the people, the families, the children, all of these different. He knew all of these people personally. And we, we understand that from Genesis 14. So now he hears, and, and not, not only that, his, his nephew Lot went back there to live. That's where uh, Lot was when he got captured by King Ketelormir. Now, Abraham's overhearing that God is going to wipe out the city, and he has his heart for these people. And that's what causes him to begin to, to mediate. He's going he's to intercede or pray for, in a sense, that's what we're seeing. He's praying. He's going to have a discussion, but he's really interceding or praying for. Here's the application that we see about this story. When you and I are more concerned with our stuff and our things and our way rather than the other person that's lost, then we've lost what it means to be a Christian. As believers, we should be concerned for the lost. And our motivation even for coming to Bible study is to to be built up so that we can tell others about Jesus Christ. That's the purpose. We don't come to church just to hear stories and, and, and be entertained by a worship team. And I don't believe most, I believe true, true Christians, it doesn't matter what church they go to, big or small, you go to church to be built up, to be encouraged, because you want to make a difference with the people that you know, you live with, you work with, because they're lost. And you have a heart for them because you were once like them, but you were saved. Your life was changed because of what God did. And, and so that's the heart that we see in Abraham here. He, he has a heart he wants to intercede for. And the application of this story, if, if we only think about ourselves and our stuff and our finances, we'll, we'll never be intercessors the way God wants us to be. Abraham is thinking about other people and these people that are going to face eternity. He's thinking about what God is going to do to them because they have rejected God and he doesn't want that to happen. And I believe... I truly believe that God wants you and I as his children, as his people, to be and have this kind of heart. 
And I believe that's why the story's here. God wants us to see that there are lost people around us. They don't know Christ. And without Jesus Christ, they're going to go to hell. This story is the quintessential story about fire and brimstone. You know, we, we've all heard of pastors, you know, preaching fire and brimstone sermons. And this is the story where we, we see the outcome of those that reject God. That's really what this story is about. You can make it about another topic or about a specific sin, but that is not what this story is about. I've heard so many sermons and so many uh, men preach on homosexuality from this text. Uh, Although you can look at that and, and go to chapter 19 and talk about that, that is not what this is about. That was just a sin that these people were involved in. It doesn't matter what sin you are doing. When you reject God, that's the ultimate sin. In fact, I'm going to show you at the end of this text or this study tonight that the scriptures tell us that those that reject the gospel, Jesus said that when you go into, he told his disciples, you go into these cities and you go and visit these people and you go there and you share the gospel. And if they reject my word, you're to do what? Remember? Remember this? You dust the, feet, the dust off your shoes and you leave. And then Jesus said this, and these are powerful words. He says, judgment against those people that reject the gospel is going to be worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. You remember that? It's not homosexuality, folks. It's sin and the rejection of Jesus Christ that sends someone to hell. Please, Please don't get sidetracked. It's so easy for us as believers to say, we identify this person with the way they look on the outward, and we say they're bad, and they're going to hell, and they deserve it. That is so, so wrong. As believers, we need to be concerned about, it doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what they wear. It doesn't matter what they're doing. They're they're all created in the image of God, and I believe God loves them. It's our responsibility to to intercede and to pray and have compassion for these people. That's what this story really reveals as you look at it from that point of view. Every sinner, every sinner was where you were, Christian. Every sinner was exactly in the same place you were. But you came to Christ You believed in Jesus. Your life was changed. That's the difference. Their life hasn't been changed. They're blinded. They can't hear. They don't see. You need to intercede. You need to pray. You need to be a good witness. You need to help them. You need to do all you can to present Jesus Christ to other people, to intercede in this case. Abraham's question, again, Abraham's question is about his concern for others. That's what motivated him to intercede. So notice what it says here again, and we'll, we'll look at this section. I really love this section. It says, Abraham came near. That's my next point. But Abraham, verse 22, at the end there, still stood, or he still stood before, but Abraham still stood before the Lord, pardon me, and verse 23, and Abraham came near. It's almost like Abraham hears the story and then he stops. The angels proceed on their way and the Lord stops. And then he has a conversation and he gets close to the Lord. Lord, Lord, are you you really going to do this, Lord? I, I, I love that picture. Again, 
Here's the application for you and I. Do you take, take time to get close to the Lord and say, Lord, are you really going to do this? Lord, can I intercede for my, my loved one, my mom, my coworker, this person that you've laid on my heart, this someone that I, I see every day. I care about this person. And even though they're gnarly, even though they're sinning, I, I have a heart for this person. And, and you draw close to him. And so that's why the prayer element enters into the story. He's interceding, yes. He's having a conversation. And we do the same. We have this conversation with the Lord. We call it prayer. But Abraham drew near. That's the, the point here. If your prayers for others are going to be effective, it's because we get close to the Lord. The closer we get to the Lord, the more we understand his heart. Prayer changes things, but, but it's not our request that changes things. It's us getting closer to the Lord that aligns our will with the will of the Father. Being close to the Lord in prayer. Not distance, not just judging and saying, do this, God, and do that. But drawing close to the Lord and just saying, Lord... Is this really your heart for these people? Is this really your heart for me in this direction? Is this really, we draw near to the Lord and we get close to him. And as we do that, our wills begin to align with his purpose. Not my will, but thy will be done. I'm not sure if I'm asking for the right thing right now, Lord, but I have this heart. You've given me this desire. Is this the right thing, Lord? And we draw near to the Lord. And when you're close to the Lord, you really have his perspective about the situation and not your own. I love this verse, James 4, verse 8. Draw near to God and he will look. Look what he'll do. Do you feel distant from the Lord? This is what you need to do. You take that step to draw close to the Lord. He'll draw close to you. I think oftentimes we find ourselves distant from God because we haven't made that step. We're like sitting back saying, when are you going to come minister to me, God? When are you going to help me out? God, I need your help. Instead of saying, Lord, humbly, Lord, I I need you. I I need to be closer to you. I I, I want to understand your heart for these people, for this need, for this situation. And I see that here in Abraham. It's when, again, we're close to God that we have his heart and his perspective. That's what intercession for others is all about. We draw near to the Lord. God gives us his heart and we begin to pray for his will and not ours. We we understand what he wants for us when we draw close to him. That's again what I see happening here. Donald Gray Barnhouse said this. He said, the longer one remains in the presence of God, the more proper perspective he gains. I like that. The longer you, you remain in the presence of the Lord in prayer, the more you spend time with the Lord, the better perspective, the more godly perspective you will have. The third thing that I see in this text here in verse 24 is Abraham's appeal. Here's his appeal in verse 24. Lord, suppose there were 50 righteous in the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for 50 righteous were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked, far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? He he asks the question, then he answers the question. Do you see that there? He knows that God is only righteous. He knows that God is only true. But he, he, he starts at 50 here. And again, 
I, I love the way he says that far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked. That's his appeal here, Abraham's appeal. He's appealing to the justice of God. God, I know you wouldn't be anything but right and true and just. When you and I know the Lord, as we walk with the Lord, as we walk closer to the Lord, as we learn the word, as we pray on a daily basis, as we study God's word, we, we, that's when we get closer to the Lord. That's when we understand his will. That's when our prayer life really takes off because we understand more of the will of God. Really important for us to draw close and then make our appeal. And Abraham's appeal is, his appeal, pardon me, is, is righteous. It's clear. He understands who God is and that God is pure and just. And that's why he says, Lord, I, I know you're going to judge righteously here. Now, what makes me believe that Abraham's concerned about all these people in the plane and not just Lot is he doesn't say, Lord, uh, do you remember my nephew Lot's there? I, I really have this greater concern for him. I, I don't care about these other people. I, I concern about, I'm really concerned about Lot's. So he doesn't say that. He focuses on the judgment of God. He's concerned about these people that are there. He has compassion for the very worst in Sodom. He has compassion for them. And it's his intercession based upon what he knows. I know God's righteous. I know he's true. And he, that's, he bases his appeal around what he knows is true about God. I love this about Abraham here because he comes boldly to the Lord. He, he's not shy. He's, he draws close to the Lord. Again, it speaks to you and I about our prayer life. Here's a great verse in Hebrews 4. I love this. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We need to come to the Lord, not cower, not be shy, not hide away, but just come to the Lord. I need you. Scripture says that we have not because we ask amiss or we ask not. We, we either don't ask at all or we ask for the wrong things. We need to come boldly to the throne of grace. We need to realize and understand that it's from God that we get his mercy. It's in a God of justice that we trust and believe, just like Abraham here. So when it comes to that need for that personal uh, that person that you know and love in your life. Maybe the Lord's putting someone on your heart. I hope so. I hope to have time at the end of our study to, to pray and intercede for some people tonight. But with that person in your heart and mind, with that need of, of someone else, you need to come boldly to the throne of grace. Notice that God says here in verse 26, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare how many? What's it say? All. And that, that is the heart of God. God doesn't want to lose any. God's heart is to save all. And you see this throughout the scripture. I, I love that truth there in verse 26. If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. That, again, is the heart of God. Sometimes we have this, you know, us against them. I'm a Christian, and they're secular. I'm a believer, and they're not. Thus, I can see how they dress. I see how they act. You deserve punishment from God. That's not the way we're supposed to 
act. The reason that they act the way they do is because they are lost, because they are unsaved, they're unregenerate, they don't know right from wrong, they're lost. Why does a sinner act like a sinner? Why does a pig act like a pig? Because he is one. Sinners act like sinners because they're sinners. You can judge them all you want, but they need Christ, and they need intercession, they need prayer, they need someone to come alongside them and share the love of Jesus Christ with them. That's the heart of the gospel. That's the heart of God's word. And we see it throughout Old and New Testament alike. And again, he extends his grace and mercy, forgiving all who will repent. He'll spare all for the sake of 50. And and again, that just, just reveals God's heart to forgive. I love that. But because God is just... He will not treat the righteous and the wicked the same. They're going to be treated differently because God's just. He just doesn't overlook the wicked. He never overlooks sin. He's long-suffering when it comes to that. How many of you in this room, don't raise your hand, don't admit this, but how many of you in this room have been in a place in your past BC days, before Christ days, that you were involved in so much sin and you were wicked and you were vile and you were in, you just set yourself up for judgment, but God was long-suffering. And it was his grace and it was his mercy and it was the love of, of Christ that, that you received. And even though you were a gnarl, even though you were bad, you found the grace of God and God changed your heart and life. That's the heart of God. He wants to forgive and he wants to extend that. And I believe that just as God is just and forgiving, he is just in judgment. We see that throughout the scripture. The problem for the people of Sodom is they went across the line. They went so far across the line in rejection of God and his ways and their disobedience to God that now God has to mete out judgment. Look at verse 20 real quick. It says, the Lord said, because of the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave. These people had reached this point of no return. They had gone way across the line in their their sinfulness here, and their resistance to the truth, and their rejection of the truth. We see that in Romans. You can read Romans chapter 1 and you'll see this, this, this ever-decreasing spiral of, of mankind and how it begins in this, this one area and it gets worse and worse. And finally, you become broken, so broken in mind and in spirit, you can't be repaired. It's called reprobate. You're reprobate. When God says you're reprobate, that means you've crossed the line. You've gone too far. And that's what was happening here with the, in these two cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Their sin was very grave. It was great, it says. Now, I need to stop here because I thought a lot about this and prayed about this. There's no record in the text about God going to Sodom and Gomorrah. There's no indication there was a prophet there. There weren't any prophets. We had Abraham. The only Two people that that had really uh, a ministry there would be Abraham and Lot. Abraham had, again, associations with the merchants and the people there. 
He knew the king, as I've already stated. So he, he must have shared his faith in God. I, I would hope he had. And then also, Lot was actually living there. So because Lot lived within the borders, he would have been another viable witness. Now, there's no record of what they said. In fact, Lot's a, a big loser for his family. He's no example here. But, but there aren't any examples where God went to them and said, be, be, turn, repent, stop doing what you're doing. There's no record of that here. But again, I believe that because Abraham was local, that Abraham had saved, that there was at least that testimony. God is fair and God is just. I don't, I don't know exactly how it happened, but I do believe there were those two witnesses there. In the mind of God, there was no use in trying to go any farther with these people because they had gone too far. They had resisted. Their hearts were hard, and the line was crossed. And so now judgment is going to come. And it's because Abraham knows. He knows that God is going to do this. He asks the question, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? That's the question here. Are you going to try treat the righteous people the way you're going to treat the wicked people? That was troubling him. That's why he asked the question, God, I know you're just, but how are you going to do this? How are you going to work this out? And, and he's thinking about his nephew. There's no doubt about that. But how are you going to work all this out? The principle is established here that, that God is just, and he's not going to do that. He's not going to destroy the righteous with the wicked. So the question really is, how many are you going to destroy? How, how many does it take so that you won't mete out justice on this population? That's really the question here. Just how many righteous people will God spare the city for? And notice Abraham's persistence. So we've, we started at 50 and we're going to work our way down. And he's bargaining with God. Some have said he's... he's you know, dealing with God here. Verse 27, then Abraham answered and said, indeed now, I who am but dust and ashes have taken it on myself to speak to the Lord. In other words, I, I've come to you humbly. I'm bold, but, I, but I'm humble here. He's talking to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than 50 righteous, verse 28. Would you destroy all the city for lack of five? So he said, if I find there 45, God says, I will not destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again and said, suppose there would be 40 found there. So God said, I, I won't do it for the sake of 40. Then he said, Abraham said, let not the Lord be angry and, and I will speak. Suppose 30 should be found there. So he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there, Abraham. And again, Abraham said, indeed, now I've taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. So he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry. I mean, you can hear this going on, right? He, he's, he's bold, but he's still um, humble before the Lord. He said, don't be angry with me, but I'm, I'm going to speak one more time. Suppose 10 should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. Now, the focus of this text is the persistence, the persistence. He, he doesn't stop. He doesn't say, how about 50? Okay, well, I'm, I'm good with that. He, 
Because Abraham knows how wicked this city is. And so he's saying, well, what about 45? Well, what about 40? How about 30? And he gets all the way down to to 10. Why, Why didn't he just say, when he got to 40... Okay, Lord, it's all in your hands. You're good. I'm good. You're good. It's, it's, I, I won't ask anymore. And here's the answer to that. A real intercessor, the man or woman that has a real heart for the lost, will not stop. Will not stop. It might be for your grandkids. It might be for your neighbor. It might be for a coworker. They may have mistreated you, and they don't deserve at least on a human level, that prayer. But because you love God and the Holy Spirit's given you and laid their name on your heart, you love that person. You can't give up. That's, that's what we learn in this story. We do not give up. We persist in prayer. We, we never give up. So when God lays that burden for a lost family member or co-worker on your heart, you have to be persistent. That's what a true intercessor does. The sad truth about this story, there weren't 10. There weren't 10 righteous people in the city. In fact, there's only one. I'll explain that later. The city is going to be destroyed. God's judgment is going to come upon them. And it's Abraham's heart here to, dis, to intercede, to pray for, to, to look out for, and to, to, to uh, make his case before the Lord. And here's the application. When you and I intercede for someone else, and I so hope that you do, and maybe you're young in the Lord and you've never done this before. Maybe you didn't understand. Maybe you've prayed, but you didn't understand what it was. You're interceding for someone. The Holy Spirit is alive and working in the believer's heart. Maybe you were overwhelmed. Maybe it brought you to tears or it stopped you in your tracks from whatever you, your pursuit was in a day or week or year. It just stops you. you. You can't go beyond because God has put this person on your heart. I'm not really sure how it works in your life, but I believe there'll be times in your life that God will put someone in your heart because God wants to accomplish something and he always does it through people. He does it sovereignly in his way, but God works through people. You, as a Christian, are his hands. God has a hand that spans the universe that speaks of his divine uh, attributes, that he's eternal and that he's everlasting and he's infinite. But you're his hands. You're the one that reaches out. It's like Teresa in the homeless ministry. You're the one that reaches out and touches those people. I just can't bring myself about to touch. They smell. If God's put a heart for you, for that person, it doesn't matter who they are and it doesn't matter what they smell like, you're going to reach out to them. And it's, your, it's his desire that you do that, you intercede for them. And it's not just homeless, it could be someone that's wealthy that needs the Lord, a neighbor, a coworker, your boss. But to intercede for that person, it's so important. And when you do that, you begin to pray You draw near to the Lord. As the example has been given here in the text, you draw near to God and you begin to pray and you you begin to get his heart. You don't know why they've done what they do. You don't know why they act the way they do. You just know they're sinners. God, I just ask that you'd save them. Lord, forgive them. God, have mercy upon them. And you just have this heart for that individual and you begin to pray. Here's something beautiful about prayer. Never underestimate prayer. 
You can read the scripture and know it and understand the intricacies of the word of God. But you know what? Prayer is what God wants from you and I as as his people. He wants us to know his word. There's no doubt about it, but he wants us to pray. In fact, prayers are so important to God. He remembers each and every one. I love this truth about the word of God. It was when I studied Revelation in depth a few years ago that I came across this verse. I want to show it to you here. It's in Revelation chapter 5. It's also in Revelation chapter 8, where in Revelation, we see that book as revealing Jesus Christ and the wrath of God, right? There's the bowls of judgment that are being filled up day after day after day. And finally, the Lord's going to pour out his wrath upon a a Christ-rejecting world. But there's something else that's being saved up. Golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. You see that in chapter 8, too. You can write that down. Revelation 8, you can read it there. You can read it here in Revelation 5. Study it on your own, and you'll find that what that means is every prayer that's prayed by God's saints, that means those that are that either in the Old Testament put their faith in God or in the New Testament we put our faith in Christ and we're born again. Every prayer of his saints are kept, they're heard, they're important to God. In other words, no prayer is insignificant to the Lord. But Pastor Lee, I've been praying. I've been on my knees. I prayed standing up. I prayed in the car driving. I prayed on a long high. I've been praying, praying, praying for years for this person, and nothing's changed. Be persistent. 50, 45. 40. Remember that? That just is an indicator that you and I are to never give up. We are to continue to intercede. And all those prayers, none of them are wasted. They're all gathered together. God remembers everyone. He notices every prayer you pray. And they're all gathered together. And they're incense to the Lord. I, I love that thought there. Every pray, prayer, pardon me, that every saint has ever prayed. <laughs> sorry is, is noticed it's kept it's in this golden bowl here Revelation 5 in the form of incense and in, in it incense what do you do with incense I mean in the 60s and 70s you know people burnt it you know and whatever you can still get incense put on a little stick it's, it smells great it's kind of cool but it smokes right and where does the smoke go does it go up or down so incense Incense like your prayer, incense, it goes up. It goes up to the Lord. It goes into the Lord's nostrils. He hears it. He smells it. It's a beautiful thing. Prayer is a beautiful thing to the Lord. And he notices, recognizes, and saves every prayer. He hears every one of them. And listen, saint, when we get to heaven, we're going to see the evidence of our prayers. Right now, we might not see it. It, it, I don't see it, Lord. It's not happening. There's some things that I pray about every day. Things that have so, there's just so much a struggle physically, emotionally for me. Things that I pray every day. And I believe when I get to heaven, I'm going to see the evidence of those prayers. Incense. I, I just love that thought. How many of us, have allowed our prayer life just to become nothing. 
It didn't work. I'm going to stop praying. We're going to get to heaven, and, and we're going to see how God answered our prayer, and we're going to say, oh, Lord, I could have had so much more impact if I would have prayed more. I mean, think about that. Think about how important prayer really is. We're going to have a week of prayer coming up in May. It's, the, I think, the first week in May. Is that what it is, Chris? We're going to have a week of prayer. We do it every year. We spend a whole week praying, an hour every night. We meet together. We pray. I sit down here, and we pray, conversation. We pray. We pray each day for different things. We intercede for people. We pray for our nation. We pray for our city. We pray for those around us. We pray for the military. We pray for lost. We pray for all kinds of things. Very important week in the life of the church, but prayer is so, so vitally important. These prayers, they rise up to the Lord. They're like incense saved by the Lord. These golden bowls of of incense or the prayers of the saints. In verse 33, notice what the scripture says. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. This section of scripture is all about Abraham interceding for people. He's concerned for the lost. He speaks directly to God, which really, for you and I, we speak directly to God. Each and every one of us have our prayer life. We have this wonderful privilege to go to the God of all creation, the the immortal, all-powerful God, to ask for our needs and the needs of others. Prayer. And we have this wonderful privilege, again, to intercede. And tonight, I'm I'm not going to go any further. Next week, we'll look at chapter 19. But what I want to do right now is is I'm going to ask you just to close your Bible. And I want each of you just to kind of bow your heads. We'll dim the lights here in the sanctuary. The worship team will come back up. And I'm going to take five minutes, four and a half or five minutes right now, in silence for you to begin to pray for that person could be a situation or maybe even a need, but, but, but I want to focus on people that are lost. Somebody, a loved one in your family, and there's probably many, your neighbor, a coworker, someone that God has put on your heart, and let us come before the throne of grace and pray. And we're not going to do it out loud. Again, we'll have the worship team will play a little quiet music in the background, but I just want you to bow your head and begin to pray. And I'll lead us to begin, but then we're going to Just have silence. Father, as we come to you tonight, after hearing this story once again, and and I pray by your Holy Spirit that you would just make it so evident to us that as your children, we have relationship with many people and, and you have put their names on our heart. And even thinking about them now, Lord, I think tears will come remorse in our hearts and in our stomachs and our soul. We, we, we have remorse. We hurt for them. And we begin to intercede for them. And we pray, Lord, for mercy. Pray for your grace to work in their lives. Father, we list their names before you now. Silently, Lord, we come and we pray and intercede.